Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Kettleman You Podcast. I am thrilled to be joined by Travis today. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why don't you start and just tell us a little bit about your agriculture background and how you're involved in the industry today? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma on a small cow-calf operation. From there, I went to uh, undergrad at Oklahoma State, uh, which kind of spurred my interest in what I do today is in uh, cow-calf nutrition. And then I went on to New Mexico State University, got a master's and PhD in range nutrition or, or cow-calf nutrition. Did my PhD research in Miles City, Montana. And then after graduating with PhD, I was on faculty at University of Tennessee for nearly five years um, in a research capacity. And then was on faculty at University of Nebraska for about five years as well as a beef extension specialist uh, and range nutritionist. And just here recently have started in a endowed chair position at Oregon State University doing beef research and uh, the associate department head. Wow, you have really experienced a lot of different areas in nutrition and you've seen a lot of different cow-calf scenarios. So let's talk a little bit about kind of how nutrition ranges across the United States. You know, that's the great thing about beef production. And, you know, across the United States, our environments are totally different. Across even state-wise, we're, we're totally different from, you know, even from Oregon, from West Coast to, to the Eastern border, completely night and day difference in environments and total rainfall, forest quality, and how cows could be or should be managed. And so that makes a really dynamic situation of this one size fits all does not work. Um, and so, you know, understanding your environment, understanding, you know, those dynamic situations that are really critical to be sustainable in your situation. And, and you know, that's why, you know, thinking something that Mark did a different location is going to work here is, is never true. It's because of you know, our environments control so much of our ability to do what we need to do. And, and so we really need to understand that as we make our decisions around the ranch. Absolutely. One of the things that I have always been, I don't know if it's intrigued or frustrated about cow-calf nutrition is I really feel like it's one of those areas where you can just kind of get by and if you don't, you know, spend a lot of time understanding your soil and doing samples and all that, it's an area you can really just kind of perform at 60% and get by. Talk a little bit about why you think 
that more producers should be proactive, kind of play on the offensive side of nutrition versus the defensive side. Because I feel as if a lot of producers are kind of just going through the motions. And I don't want to say that in a rude way, but when you're a cow-calf producer, nutrition can seem to be kind of this foreign concept in an area we're not quite as confident in as some of the other areas. So talk a little bit about, you know, some of the benefits of really switching from a defensive to an offensive position. Yeah, you know, we we live in a, in a environment or a system that our outputs are a long ways away. Meaning, I breed cows today, I, I'm nine months at seeing a offspring, and then you're several months of weaning, if you retain ownership, etc. you know, you could be a year plus out of, of anything of a substantial, you know, monetary value, right? You know, compared that to the dairy industry, if I change nutrition of a dairy cow today, I'm going to see that in her milk tomorrow. And so that output is pretty immediate effect. And so that that's for a lot of producers. They don't necessarily see the not necessarily see the benefit of nutritional management, but they just don't see the output as well, right? And so when we tend to make a lot of decisions on bad visual ideas, then it gets into these areas of why, you know, in the last 30, 40 years, the size of our cows are much bigger today than they should be. Is we, we have a mindset of output drives profitability and so we don't factor in the nutritional cost to get there and so nutrition plays a huge role in our profitability and so from just a cow calf side is about 65 percent of our cow cost our yearly cow cost will be wrapped up in nutrition and so as you think about our our economic status of, of where profitability is for a lot of our producers today versus 20 30 years ago we're running on a tighter margin our cost of production increases our labor costs increases land costs increase you know etc then we look at output our outputs in the last 20 years 30 years have not changed and so this is where nutrition has to play a big role is how can I fine tune what I'm feeding, how much I'm feeding, that I'm really managing what I can manage. You know, I can't manage the market, but I can manage my nutritional outflow and I can manage what I'm feeding and how much I'm feeding to make sure I'm feeding correctly in a cost effective way to be sustainable, to help control that 65% of my cow cost as much as possible. But a lot of producers don't see it that way. You know, we get stuck in situations that we've always done it this way. And so that's why we do it. We get stuck in situations that just not understanding. There's a lot of bad dogmas out there. There's a lot of bad information that a lot of producers utilize that really don't understand the physiology of cows. They don't understand nutritional management of cows to the degree that would really help them. And this is, I'm not in extension anymore, but from an extension side is, we've got a lot of producers don't understand that they have a extension support staff that they pay through their taxes that can help provide them that information of building rations for them, of helping with the nutritional management. 
And so that's really important from the aspect of how can I control my cost is working closely with whether or not it's a consultant or extension personnel that can be able to help you control that cost and feed what you need to be feeding to meet your objective in your ranch. So that's really how can I control those costs. And I think the thing is when we think about tweaking nutrition, we immediately think it's going to cost more money, right? Right, right. We're like, oh, they want me to supplement. They want me to buy different hay. They X, Y, and Z. And that's not always the case. I think when you dial in the nutrition and you figure out exactly what's working, in most of the scenarios I've been around, they actually save money because they realize they're overfeeding in this area or they get to tweak this and it changes consumption or all of that. And I think we immediately assume, okay, I need to look at my nutrition program. It's going to increase my cost. Yeah. But by going through that motion of just fine tuning, you can easily save for a lot of producers, save anywhere from 50 to $200 per year per cow because of how they were feeding stuff before and really fine tuning that. And there are some circumstances I've run into that we were underfeeding and we really had needed to change and increase, you know, feeding something else. Uh, and a good example of this is I had a producer call once that said, you know, my hay quality is generally 10% group protein. And he wanted to build a ration around it. And I asked him, can you get that hay tested for me before we move forward? He said, sure. So he sent it off, came back. The hay quality was 4%. And so by feeding what he wanted to feed, he could have had a big negative impact on productivity of cows underperforming, low pregnancy rates, et cetera. In that circumstance, we would have to increase some, maybe increase some costs to bring in to some supplements to offset that low of a quality of that hay. But you can have the opposite of having hay that you think is 4% and you're feeding a supplement when it's 10% and meeting all requirements. So it's really important to actually know what you're feeding so we can fine tune that. And most time it's actually decreasing your cost when we do it. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about what are some of the things that you notice when someone needs to tweak their nutrition? So what are some of the benchmarks where you're like, okay, this should be a red flag. It might be a yellow flag, but it's actually a red flag and we need to dive in and look at this deeper. You know, each place is different of why they're coming to you with a problem. Sometimes we can't even understand or find the problem with, you know, why they're having the problem with low pregnancy rates because they're doing everything correctly. So that's sometimes the big challenge is, it's hard to figure out why they're having certain issues. I'd say from any producer standpoint of is knowing exactly what you're feeding and the quality of it. You know, a lot of red flags come up with thinking you're feeding something that you're not feeding. Another red flag is not understanding waste. When I think waste is nutritional waste that you fed it, but it wasn't ate. So how I'm feeding something increases or decreases the waste of that feedstuff. Let's say if I fed dried distillers grains on the ground, I could have 50% waste. 
So if I was feeding two pounds of it, one pound of that was actually wasted and not being fed. And so that's a huge cost that we're wasting. So making those changes where we understand that and implementing a different strategy, whether or not it's a different type of supplement, so let's go into like a a cube, a big cube or something like that, that has maybe a 5% waste or feeding in bunks, et cetera, can really help save those costs. You know, we run into a lot of issues of, especially with herds that have no defined breeding season and doing rations when you have lactating cows, cows that are gestating and dry cows make it very difficult because you always have to feed to that lactating value. And so, you know, there's always those issues of it's very difficult, you know, for a lot of ranches outside of, unlike a feedlot situation that I have a lot of different options of formulating a ration with different feedstuff with a lot of ranches, I'm very limited. It's either they have what they have and there's a chance to buy something else, but that additional feedstuffs can be limited of what it is. And so it's, One, it's how can we be creative with what you have? What can we cost effectively add to it and buy? The big deal is them understanding that there has to be compromise here. You may not achieve your output goals because of the environment that you have and the nutritional value of what you have if you're unwilling to pay to to change that. And so many producers are unwilling to pay to change that. So they have to be willing to take the negative impact on productivity down the road. And so those conversations can be very tough at times. One of the areas that I notice producers commenting on is supplementation. And it almost feels as if when we consider supplementing the kettle, it comes with a sales rep. And it's, you know, one of the areas in our business that comes with a sales rep. And I think two things happen. People buy from someone they like, which we know that's true. They do. But sometimes it's a blind buy. Or sometimes people refuse to buy because they feel like they're being sold to, even if it's what they need. And so how can someone make a confident decision? Like what are some things that they should be testing and thinking about to make sure that they're not only buying from someone they want to buy from, I I mean, that's important, but also that it's the right product. And we're not just buying a product that is not the right supplementation package for our livestock. Yeah. So uh, the story to go with that is a few years ago, a producer called me. They needed to make some changes. And so we were working through that changes. And he, he had a sales rep come to him and say, this is what you need to feed. And he really liked the guy. And he knew the guy for a long time. And so what the guy with the sales rep were proposing would not help him one bit. And it was going to be a complete waste of his money. But he felt obligated because he knew the guy for a long time that he should go that way. And I, and I told him, it doesn't matter to me what decision. That's your decision. I, I only give recommendations. But this is my recommendation. And, and he went with the, with the sales rep and it didn't work out. So you're right. We we fall into those situations where some of it's trust. Some of it is, you know, they've had a relationship with other people. But if you want information, you need to go to an unbiased source. 
companies are very biased. You know, they have a product to sell. They have overhead. They need to push product to make money. I, in extension, have no product to sell. My product is the information that I'm trying to sell you or help you with. But I, I get no monetary incentive to do this. And so I'm not, my recommendations are not biased in terms of that. And so from a producer standpoint, you know, you really need to u- utilize an unbiased source for information because there's a lot of really bad nutritional products out on the market that have no research background to say they do what they do, but they get away with it as a company and people buy it because they think it works. And it goes back to this comment of it takes a long time to see an output in the beef industry. And sometimes if I make a change one year and I bring in a different supplement and it, it seemed to work, a lot of times what you saw was it was a different year. Right? We may have got a little more rainfall or timing of that rainfall occurred differently that really influenced that change. And it really wasn't that supplement. So, you know, a couple of things is go to an unbiased source, but also it needs to be science-based that has research to prove that this works. And that's very important of using your local extension specialist, your local universities. I think what you talked about when we think about supplementation is so, so important to find the unbiased source. And you really want to like your rep. I mean, don't get me wrong, but you want to make sure that you're doing the best for your operation. And I think you had some great tips on how to do that. One of the other areas that I think is pretty overlooked when it comes to nutrition is hydration. We sort of just assume that if there's water available, they're going to get to it and they're going to drink. And that's not always the case. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, like how much water we should have available, what, like how far they can travel for water, some of all of those things that maybe we just think it's just kind of, again, a defensive, there's a water tank, I'm sure they'll find it. But what are some ways we can be proactive when it comes to hydration? Yeah, water is critical, and it's one of our most critical uh, nutrients that sometimes gets overlooked. And, you know, one recommendation is always is if you move animals into a new pasture, especially if you bring in yearlings that have never been there before, you take them to water. And especially in our larger environments that we're managing in, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 acre type pasture situations are that, you know, taking animals to water and make sure they know where the water sources are, at least one water source up front is extremely important. And so we never want to limit water intake. And there's some downhill issues that can occur and, you know, outside of just dehydration, et cetera, is water intake and forage intake go hand in hand. If I limit water intake, I'm going to limit forage intake. So, you know, they may not be completely dehydrated, but you can influence forage intake if you limit the water intake. So we never want to run out of water. We never want to limit water intake and having enough water sources or access to water is very important. And we don't always think about that as much as we do as a, in a pen setting 
right? That you may have a drinker in a pen and want to make sure there's enough drinkers per animal. And, and that, that's more of a feedlot or pen setting than what we think about in a cow-calf in a grazing environment. But I think from a grazing environment is understanding the quality of what your water is extremely important, especially in the Western United States is we run a lot of issues with with high iron in our waters, high sulfur in our waters. And knowing water quality is just as important as having water access. Because I can run into some issues with extremely high iron that actually can have some detrimental effects on health. We can have some extremely high sulfur in our water that can have detrimental issues on health as well. And it actually can change what I can or should be feeding in terms of my mineral in terms of how much distillers I could be feeding if I have a high sulfur in my water. And, you know, a lot of times when we do mineral work, there's big, bigger focus on the mineral content of our forages, of our hay feedstuff, etc. But we can't leave out the mineral content of our water. And that really changes across the landscape. And even a given ranch, you know, your running water versus your standing water or, or your well water will be completely different in quality. And I've been on some ranches that you go a mile down the road and there's water quality so bad we need to fence it off because if they take up on it, we could have some health issues. So it's really important to think about not only the quantity, but the quality of that water from that standpoint of, of causing some health issues. So we never want to limit water. We want to have great access to water from a distance traveled. You know, we think of not being over a mile per day of walking. You know, some environments we have, especially, you know, think about Eastern Oregon and the Nevadas, some, you know, New Mexico, Arizona. We've got cows that are walking 15, 20 miles per day just to graze. That we don't want to get those water sources more than a you know mile away apart from each other. That that will limit grazing distribution. Will limit their going into water. So that's very important. There's some aspects and some times of the year that we can increase that that distance. You know, a lot of especially in the northern country of Montana, uh, getting into Canada, we utilize snow as water. And cows will eat snow rather than going into drinking water. And so we, we've got data that during the summer, cows will be coming to water every day. In the winter, they may be coming every two, three, four days to water because they're eating snow to offset that water. And so that gives some flexibility if those cows know how to do it. But that still, from a nutrition side, it's kind of scares me. I never want to limit water intake and not having water there just in case. You can, you know, run on wheat pasture or, or something like that that has high water intake that or has high water that you will see a decrease in calves going into water sources because they're eating so much water as part of their diet. And you, so you see some of that, that behavior around going to water takes a little differently depending on how much water is in their forage uh, that they're eating snow versus going to drink it, etc. Are you trying to find the right planner to start the new year with? Look no further. We've created the Cattle Menu Planner for ranch wives, mothers, and daughters 
who are looking for the perfect place to capture all of their thoughts throughout the year. Our planner is the perfect guide to help you get your operation started. In the Cattle Menu Planner, Paving Your Path, you will create the foundation for your operation, set goals, and learn how to implement them. We've included our customer favorite blank calendar pages so you can start when you're ready. Grab yours today at cattlemealive.com backslash planner. I remember growing up with our 4-H animals, my dad had a rule that the quality of water in there, and of course this is small scale, right? But he um, would always tell us that if we couldn't take a cup and drink from it, then it wasn't good enough. And we're pretty stubborn, my brother and I. So a couple times it was probably not good enough. And we went and got a cup from the kitchen, put it in the water. And we're like, look, dad, it's fine. I don't need to clean the tank or I don't need to worry about the moss and things like that. And it was kind of my first real concept of how important the water was is if it was something I wasn't comfortable drinking, I shouldn't have it out there for the cows. And I know that, you know, that not everyone's case can be like that, but I really think we probably need to test and make sure that the water quality, they like it and they're drinking it. Yeah, because, you know, in those circumstances, it's like high iron. If you tried drinking something that was really high iron or even smelling, you know, you can smell high sulfur in, in waters. You know, if you take a drink of that, that's not going to be great to drink, right? So cows have that same ability of it's just something that they do not necessarily want to drink because of that taste um, there's even data and we don't see this as much on the cow side but even on the calf side just changing how that water does the quality of that water influences performance and so you can increase calf average daily gain by changing water quality by, by somewhere around a quarter pound per day gain and that's a lot of money when you think about, the, you know, from 200 days of a calf, right? And the study of Canada, all they did was they went from a stock tank to actually running this through into a drinker and getting that water to move, that it wasn't just sitting water. And so that running water increased that quality that you didn't have all that sediment, et cetera, that they were drinking. And so, you know, there's little things that we can look at doing from a water quality aspect to really help performance and actually intake, right? Yeah, that's a cool stat. I didn't know that. And I think, again, it's it's changing nutrition from offense to defense, and right. it's just being more proactive. And it's like, you know, picking up pennies versus saving and only waiting for the dollars. Like, I think you can pick up enough pennies by tweaking the way we think about nutrition to make a pretty big financial impact. Yeah, you know, a lot of our issue is it's hard to tell when we're behind because it takes so long for cows to get in a thin body condition score. Or, you know, it it takes a while because it's so easy to be reactive because of that. And so with technology and technology occurring where we're at today, we've got some technologies that, that will help producers be more proactive, that they see changes more rapidly. It won't be the change in milk production as the dairies see, but it will be, I can see in a week span that my cows are losing this weight. There's technology of using cameras to predict an, an accurate or estimate body weights of cows very accurately. 
that that will help change some of that reactive nature that we're more proactive in managing cows and that will just help with our cost savings down the road i completely agree let's talk about some kind of out of the box or unique feeding yeah. things that you've seen or are seeing oh you know the great thing about beef cows is they're ruminant animals the rumen is a tremendous asset that's highly adaptable and flexible you know we've been involved in some feeding of just random feedstuffs that some byproducts that you know mustard seed they got turned over that was on the ground uh, there's places that have been fed skittles so there's a great opportunity of bakery goods etc that, that will help decrease those costs. We've got to be creative in some of our, our, our thinking, but there's a lot of opportunity to feed these byproducts that did pass for human consumption, for human grade, that, that we could utilize if we're local to that area, we could utilize in some feeding that can really help. And, and that's why if you go into Idaho, a lot of feedlots are feeding a lot of potatoes, a lot of French fries are being fed in feedlots. We can grasp on some of this in the cow-calf side if we're local and that's close by because we get a really cheap byproduct. But, you know, the, the ruminant animal makes that great because of the rumen. You know, we just have to be a little creative and we're seeing this opportunity. We've got to grasp onto it. But we also have to make sure that there's no negative impacts of feeding something, right? And so there are some FDA regulations on certain feedstuffs, making sure it doesn't get into the meat, et cetera, that we need to pay attention to. We feed in our background in law on the ground. And I remember the first time we shared about that on social media, the world could not believe that we would just feed right on the ground and we would just be okay with all the waste and it's actually worked out to be one of the best things we've ever done because we can mm -hmm. put in a new pen and start feeding that day. And it's amazing how much, I don't know if we're like just kind of stuck in our ways or there are so many unique ways of feeding cattle and doing it, not even correctly, but just viable options out there that sometimes I think there's more options than we can even really like comprehend. Yeah, I think, you know, there, there's not necessarily one correct way to do anything, right? And for you guys, it works great. For another producer, it may not, right? Then we've got to realize that in our circumstances, what would work well? And be willing to try something new. Be willing to try something that's totally different. And, you know, we could really change a lot of our costs because our willingness to be different, and look at things a little differently than what we've always done. Absolutely. And I kind of think, you know, as technology increases that, I mean, we're going to see some cool things when it comes to feeding cattle. Oh yeah. I mean, so you, you think about, and we do a lot of with research on technology and, but we look at technology, what it did in the dairy industry, what it did in the cropping industry and how it exploded productivity. One thing we haven't seen is technology and adoption of technology in the beef cow-calf side. And some of that's changing and 
you know, we, we've had technology around for a long time and think about what going from windmills to solar, you know, fencing, um, hot wire, you know, going barbed wire to hot wire to virtual fencing today. There, there's a lot of opportunity with technology and it go back to, we are limited in land. We're limited in nutrients. Productivity of our cow herds in a maternal cow herd has not changed. You know, our weaning weights have not changed. Pregnancy rates have not changed in the last 20, 30 years. And that's where I think technology comes into play of really helping fine tune a lot of these to help with our cost, help with our decision making. You know, that it really helps with going from a reactive to proactive decision maker that can really help with some of these outputs and controlling our costs. And that is just so, so important. I mean, I think that is what makes the difference between ranches that are in the red versus ranches that are in the black. Yeah, it is. And, you know, a lot of this, we don't want to be too early of adopter of stuff, especially some of these technical things that, you know, like virtual fence. It's been around for a long time. A lot of people haven't known that outside of maybe they've seen, you know, virtual fencing for dogs or their pets. But it's a tool that's been around a long time, but it really gained traction in the last five years. And there's a tremendous amount of interest in producers of virtual fencing. But I, as I would not recommend any producer today of, in the United States to jump on with one technology or one company yet because we only have a handful in the United States. In the next two years, there's going to be three, four, five more companies in that area. And so when I invest in one company, it may limit my ability to change or that be able to go to a different company because I invested so much up front when the prices were so high that another technology may be better fitting for my ranch in the next year, in the next six months. Right. So, so we have to caution of jumping on technology a little too early that some of the kinks have not been worked out. 100%. Okay, this has been a great conversation. I love chatting this. And let's go into our fun rapid fire questions. The first question is, what is your favorite cut of steak? And how do you like it? Oh, I would say probably a ribeye. Okay. I, I'm big on reverse searing and cooked uh, medium rare. That sounds delicious. What is an ag industry topic that you think needs talked about more in the general media? Boy, there's a lot of them, but I think the one today, well, I'm going to throw out two. One is the health benefits of eating beef. And so there's tremendous amount of health benefits of what red meat provide. And think about the nutrient dense package that it provides for you know families that's extremely important that we fall into all these falsehoods the other one is the sustainability factor that grazing and beef production brings to the table there's a lot of negative association with cows grazing and cows being in the environment or ruminant animals because of methane and and other greenhouse gases, but they are part of the solution of whether or not you want to talk about global warming or not, but they are part of the solution 
because of the benefits they bring to the table of increasing carbon into the ground of grazing. I think that needs to be talked about a lot more in the positive light with actual data of showing their benefits that it does to the environment. And without that, we lose a lot of negatives, right? And so I think we really need to showcase and highlight the positives that beef production brings to the world and to the environment. That's much greater than any negative of any methane production that's caused. And I think something, you know, to go along with that is the environment is something we all can get behind. And it's those kind of topics where everyone can agree we want this land, you know, for multiple generations. It seems as if those topics, we get a lot of negative press. And it's easier to get positive press on things that are a little bit more black and white, but the ones where we can all agree, like we need to, you know, focus on this. We need to bring this up in conversation. We do seem to sometimes be a little behind the eight ball and we need more positive press on those. I think in podcasts like this and et cetera are a good thing of bringing light to, to that. I think producers need to be more vocal and they need to, to be in the spotlight of, they are the true sustainable, you know, ranching person. That they are, are the true conservationists. You know, you think about sustainability of this ranch being passed down generation to generation. And those are the people that you know we need to highlight of and be very vocal of their love and passion for not only beef production, but their love for the lifestyle, the land, the environment, etc. Because if they didn't, they're going to be making a lot more money by selling out, right? And so that's really important from the aspect of producers being more vocal and showcasing their side of it, of what they bring and what they're doing that's highly sustainable. So true. Okay, next one. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Stay uncomfortable. That is a good one. I love that too. Okay, this one's kind of fun. What is your non-career dream job? Non-career dream job. Yeah, so so um, I dabble in woodworking, and uh, you know, if I ever did anything else, I, I would actually just do woodworking. Gosh, that sounds fun. Sometimes it's nice. I know I work on my computer a lot. And it's nice to have hobbies that involve my hands. It's like my brain worked all day. And so I like to have hobbies that involve my hands. Yep. You you know, you see something from start to finish and and it's highly rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Travis. This was a great conversation. We'll be sure to put all of your contact information, everything like that in the show notes. We have listeners who are now in Oregon where you are. And so people can reach out and ask you questions. I think you're a great resource. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me on. Of course. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks again for listening to the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember, the grass is greener where you water it.